All right, we're back for another episode of the YBR Remo Show. Today, we're going to jump into the top reasons that you could jeopardize your financing. Uh, we see a lot of uh, unique reasons that uh, kill financing uh, quite regularly. So we want to touch on how to avoid those and, and ultimately to avoid these reasons, you're going to have to know what they are. So we're going to get right in and uh, start off. I mean, one of the big ones that we've seen here in, in British Columbia is uh, previously remediated grow ops. So um, this is a big one. You know, people have maybe purchased a home that was previously used to grow marijuana and the home was fully remediated, uh, taken care of, um, all the BC hydro inspections, all the, you know, all the government inspections that are required and get, you know, that you ultimately receive your, your full remediated status. Even in that situation, we have almost no banks willing to finance those types of properties. Uh, we're very, very limited on options and quite regularly, um, clients are quite shocked to realize that they have no options and the options they do have uh, are priced quite a bit higher than than your standard conventional or high ratio mortgage. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two ways to look at um, this whole episode. Like there's a lot of property specific situations like Dean just mentioned, the remediate grow up piece is a big one, especially in BC. BC bud. Um, but the other side is actually what people can do to kill their financing, right? Like mistakes that people make when they're pre-approved or shopping or even after they have their approval, like there's situations that people can um, uh, get themselves into, which can really restrict financing. But yeah, just on the property piece, I mean, remediated grow ups is super unfortunate. You know, I think this is where Justin was probably going to go, but a lot of these properties are, are remediated very, very well. Um, and, and a lot of them have very minimal damage too, depending on what it was. Like some of them, it's a, it's quite literally a, a grow up in a shop, right. Or maybe in the garage and, and you just, those properties get flagged and there's definitely some major considerations there. Like there's a couple options, but they're typically going to be quite a bit more expensive. A lot of lenders that do them actually need it to be insured. So like it can't be a rental, it can't be over a million dollars. So it can be pretty restrictive. Another consideration there is like, even if you can find a way to buy one, it's very, very tough, as we just said, for people to secure financing. So when it comes to selling that property, you know, if every other property on your street is going to multiple offers, yours probably is not, right? Um, you're not going to see the same level of appreciation. Um, it's just not going to be as marketable. And a lot of people are not working with a broker or someone that, you know, can figure out how to finance these properties. So, you know, they go to their bank, their bank says no, and then they walk away, right? Um, but yeah, just on the piece of remediation, like a lot of people's minds go to grow up which is the biggest and most common, but believe it or not, there's, there's other types of drugs <laughs> that people um, create in properties. Like we've seen remediated meth labs and stuff like that. So just really understanding the history of that property, right? Like understanding the PDS, um, if there is anything that comes up, really understand what that remediation process was or what the grow up was too, right? Like, like I said, some of these, it's a literally a detached home that's never been touched, but the shop that's attached to the side of the home had four pot plants in it, right? But it's going to be flagged the same way. Yeah, I think you guys really nailed that one on the head. Uh, I would say the second part for us to kind of get into would be um, properties that contain like vermiculite insulation, knob and tube wiring, or even asbestos. Um, that's why we always recommend you guys get a inspection done and have somebody go through the property and check on it before you bad remove subjects. Um, those three things can definitely kill financing, especially if the lender gets gets word of it. 
uh, in maybe a addendum or something like that. Lenders like the property to be very marketable going forward and, and for potential resale value. And, and those are three things that will 1,000% kill your financing. You know, the, the home inspection will obviously uncover a lot of these items. And, and again, just a reminder of why it's so important to, to do these items and not just have, you know, maybe, you know, you know your uncle that's a builder walk through a home, um, having the proper, you know, mold testing and, and proper, you know, the proper testing from all of these angles is, is really important and really looking in the uncovered areas. Uh, one of the other ones I just wanted to touch on was um, just the, the property zoning or property type. You know, we'll, we'll touch on First uh, First Nations lease land. That's, um, you know, that's an area that can be quite challenging to finance depending on the band that uh, that that essentially owns the lease, owns the land that that's leasing you the the, the land to to essentially build your home on, or or has a home built on it already. Um, we're seeing these pop up a lot now. Like we're seeing a lot of, especially in our area, we're seeing a lot of lease land get developed, and it's becoming a lot more easier to finance, which is which is great. Um, local credit unions seem to be very comfortable with this type of a um, zoning or, or land, and uh, but in the past, this has been very difficult to get financed with some of the big banks. Yeah, that's a that's a big one. Lily's land piece. I mean, age restricted is another one that comes up quite a bit. Obviously, we've seen some recent changes there um, for the better. But age restricted can not necessarily always kill your deal, like depending on the lender that you work with. Some lenders don't like age restricted at all. A lot of them will just scale back what they're willing to lend. Like some of them will, will actually require a bigger down payment or like a 25 year amortization instead of 30. Um, so being familiar with that. And again, like this just goes back to every single episode we touch on this, having a proper pre-approval and having an in-depth conversation with your broker about like, what are you trying to buy, right? Like if we do a pre-approval for someone and they come back two months later and they say, oh, we've been looking at mobile homes for the last two months. And we didn't know that. Like that's a totally different conversation because not a lot of lenders want to finance mobile homes. And if they do, there's a lot of restrictions around age and, and everything else, right? I guess which kind of rolls into that piece, especially where we live in Greater Vancouver, Fraser Valley, like modular homes, manufactured homes, all that kind of stuff. Some people like, you know, you have a bigger dog and, and maybe all you can afford is, you know, maybe 400,000, 500,000 uh, are qualified for, you know, for the most part, that's a condo or it's potentially like a mobile home. Right. And a lot of people want like the yard and they want a bigger space. And, and that's really the only viable option for them. And again, just the financing, like I'd say 98% of our lenders don't want to touch those. And it's a major flaw in my opinion. It's just a totally... Yeah, it's just, it's just, they look at it like an unmarketable property, right? And lenders are always thinking worst case scenario. So I guess, again, just as we continue to work through this, this episode, like every single type of property or, or situation is, is, is because it's unique and a lender always thinks, okay, well, if Justin doesn't make his mortgage payments, we have to foreclose and sell this property. And if there's something unique about it, banks aren't in the business of holding and sitting on properties for a year trying to sell it, right? Like they're in the business of like, we got to foreclose, we need to know our position safe and we want to sell the property like within a couple of weeks. Like that's their goal, right? So anything unique about it is typically where you'll start to see them step back. Age restriction, leasehold, manufactured homes, the grow up piece, right? Um, but yeah, that, that manufactured home piece is becoming more and more popular, especially because of the prices. And, and really, again, like some people don't want to be cooped up in a condo. They'd rather have some space, even if it is a mobile home. The other main component that really affects uh, financing like Dean briefly touched on is the zoning component to it. A lot now you're seeing properties where there's commercial on the bottom and condos on top. Some lenders won't necessarily do the loan to value that you're looking for in that circumstance. 
Uh, if you have any sort of commercial activities on the property, let's say you have a little bit bigger of, of you know, you have five, 10, 15 acres and you have something on there, lenders aren't gonna like that. Um, for farming, a lot of lenders will not do any sort of active farming, even if you're just leasing the land for hay cutting. Um, this is something that that changes um, that changes the the way the property is marketed in the future, and uh, lenders tend to hold back. Now that being said, there are lenders that will do properties over over ten acres, and a lot of times it is local credit unions to the area or even potentially a hobby farm or, or things of that nature. But it's just something that a lot of people don't realize when they start looking into those bigger properties, especially when you see up north like the Okanagan or, you know, we're looking at 25 plus acres of land. Um, a lot of times the appraisal will only want to do 10, 10 acres plus the main home. So um, you could have a million dollar purchase price, but maybe it appraises at 800,000, right? So it's a big component that a lot of people aren't aware of and, and they can, um, really jeopardize their financing if they haven't done like De or Derek has, has um, referred to as a proper pre-approval and understand the situation that they're walking into. Yeah, for sure. Really good point. I mean, on on like the, the acreage piece is massive. Um, knowing what, like there are some lenders that will actually put value on up to like a hundred acres, but most only do five, right? So making sure that you're pre-approved with that one specific lender if you're looking for some mass farm type property. And then the outbuilding piece is huge too, right? You have a couple nice horse barns, they're worth $300,000 nowadays, right? And if those aren't being included in your appraisal, you're hooped or you, or you gotta come up with a ton more money to make it work, right? Which most people just don't have the uh, have the ability to do. Yeah, so just kind of, you know, touching on the strata property piece, it, it, this is a big one. So like so many different things can go wrong in a strata purchase. This is why, you know, working with a good realtor that's going to help you review strata documents to understand what's going on, right? Like the, the health of the financials of the strata corporation. Also, if there's any upcoming assessments, this is what depreciation reports are for. Depreciation report essentially lays out the expected work throughout a period of time, right? So it might say like in 2027, we're expecting to have to do, to do the roof. And it's going to cost us $3 million. And you can kind of look at it and say, okay, well, if the Stratacorp doesn't have any money in it, like where is that $3 million going to come from? Then you're taking on financing. And lenders rip this stuff apart because they don't want to get in a position where they've financed, you know, maybe 10, 20 condos in a building. And the strata is basically falling apart because it hasn't been managed properly. So that's one piece of it. But like the special assessment piece when you think about like a condo building, if they have to, ex you know, re redo the exterior, think of all the leaky condos that, you know, we used to and are still actively dealing with. Those projects are like massive money, right? Like I'm talking like five, six, seven, eight million dollars to completely redo the exterior of a condo building uh, in some situations. And if a lender sees that that's upcoming or it's active, like if it's actively being done, most lenders just step aside because so many things can go wrong. There can be lawsuits, right? Like anything construction related can go wrong because there can be cost overruns. You could have a bunch of people that can't pay their assessment, right? So when these assessments happen, let's say it's a $5 million bill, the strata might have 2 million bucks to kick in that they've saved up. Maybe they're probably going to take on some financing and then they're going to send a bill to every single owner for the difference. So like every single owner, say there's a hundred owners in a condo building, they could get a bill for like 7,500 bucks. A lot of people don't have that, right? So then you get these situations where it's just dragging on and on and on and it's just, it becomes a dead and it can just be a complete mess. So that's something like, regardless of like getting the financing or not, you need to be aware of this stuff, right? Um, for obvious reasons, you probably don't, maybe don't want to buy in a building that has like something like that going on. 
my kind of general rule of thumb is like if we get a couple lenders that look at something like that and they want to step aside, I would probably step aside too. Like there's probably good reason for it, right? And like especially if you're getting more than one lender's opinion on something like this, it's you know they look at this stuff all day every day and it's their security and it's your security too. So um, yeah, that's kind of my general rule of thumb. If you have a couple lenders backing out, probably for the best, unless there's something that you know they're just not not grabbing onto. My first property, I actually uh, went against the the advice of my broker and realtor and bought a property that had a special assessment come out. And uh, within 30 days of me owning the property, I was given a $20,000 bill to pay. And I was like, I just put 110 down on this condo. Like, where am I supposed to come up with 20 extra grand? So these are real situations. And take it for myself, uh, it sucks and you get hit with that bill. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I guess just moving on, a couple more pieces on the property side of this, uh, like fixer-upper type properties, right? Had tons of people over the years, maybe they're in construction, right? And like they see the value, the sweat equity of, of finding something that's a little beat up. Not everyone is looking at it. Maybe you're not in multiples because it's a beat up old home, right? Like people don't want that. Everyone wants shiny and new and, and like turnkey. So you can do pretty well financially on those. One of the challenges is when the appraisal comes back, like if it is actually pretty beat up, like think about some of the foreclosures, the stuff I've seen is just unbelievable. The appraisal comes back and it says it's below average condition. If it says it's below average condition, you're probably not going to get a bank or credit union on that. Even if you can show them like a bank statement saying, hey, I got a hundred grand here cash. I'm going to do this. And like, I'm a contractor. They don't care because the, like, there's no proof that you're actually going to do it. Right. They're all about like the banks anyways. They're all about financing and like condition at time of completion. Um, we've seen some one off situations where banks can do like it's almost like construction financing for a renovation. But that has to be pretty large scale. To make something like that work and it's it's rare and it's pretty painful to be honest with you um, but that's a situation where again like a lot of people are going like what the hell like i know i can make a lot of money here it's a good property it has good bones but the banks just don't like it because of the, the the condition at completion those situations it doesn't mean you don't have financing if you have a big enough down payment you might have to go private private lending um, which is more expensive right not ideal but if there's enough money and profit in the project, it still often will make sense. And then you just jump in there and get your reno done as quickly as possible. And then we would refinance with the bank afterwards. But that's a big one too. And it just surprises people, right? People are out shopping for this old beat up home for six months and they find one. And then we have to tell them like, oh no, you know, this actually isn't going to work the way that you wanted it to. Yeah, I think too, like I just had a conversation yesterday with a client who actually had a couple of these stacked up in one and and I basically was just, you know, we're not going to be able to get financing. Like it was a fixer upper on lease land. Like you're all of a sudden, you start having two or three of these things that we've talked about. You're starting to see like even less and less lenders like want to come to the table. So it's, it's like, it comes back to being properly pre-approved and just making sure that you have a true idea of what you're looking for and understanding that like, if you find one of these properties that you just love, it could be hard opportunity to fund financing based on, you know, a grow up on lease land that, you know, has livestock on the one acre property, right? Like it's going to be really difficult to, to get something for you that's suitable for your, your wants. Yeah. Yeah. That's just why like the upfront conversation at time of pre-approval is so important, right? Um, that livestock piece is interesting, actually. Like there's a lot of lenders, you know, like I have a hobby farm, like we have chickens and goats and stuff like it's that it's not actually farming. It doesn't make us any money. It just costs us money. Um, but lenders, like if they see that a lot of lenders will just choose to step aside and 
I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I know that there is an angle from the lender's end um, around the foreclosure process. Like if there was ever a foreclosure on a property like that, and there's like pigs and goats and whatever, well, if you're kicking someone out of your house and then these animals end up dying because like you're not there, feed it's just it it for me. My understanding is that it's a it's a pretty hard process to foreclose and do it properly because like you know any average bank doesn't want to go get involved with like removing goats and and homing them and all that kind of stuff, right? I think that's a part of it. I'm sure there's another angle too, but I know the foreclosure process is a, a big piece of that. But now jumping into kind of what what buyers can do that like jeopardize their financing is obviously like the number one thing we see is hey i got a really good job opportunity and i'm switching jobs a week before closing like that's a big no-no make sure you're you know whatever we've pre-approved you with stays in place until closing um until you have the keys and you're walking into your nicely new house um i had a situation last year where he got a job with cn and just figured because he was getting more money it wasn't going to be a big deal and you know it's a really big deal and very stressful for all parties involved so um that's number one. I think number two is, is making sure all your down payment is in place correctly and not moving money around. Um, I know I just recently encountered a file where um, against my my words, he kind of moved, started moving things around and lenders just asked more questions about where the money was coming from. And, it, you know, instead of having four pieces of down payment documentation, it was, you know, 48 at the end of it. And we're trying to highlight and through where the, where the funds come out. That's obviously a high level point from us to deal with, but um you know if a broker tells you not to move stuff don't don't until until it comes to the moment yeah yeah i mean a couple important pieces here too right like and we're really good at explaining this to clients to to try to avoid these issues again some people are going to do what they're going to do right um but like getting pre-approved doesn't mean you're good to go like that's a pre-approval right so like if you just all of a sudden start working less hours and you find a house in three months you're not going to qualify for the same amount because your pay subs are going to be lower Right. Or like if you get pre-approved and you're employed and then you go self-employed a month later and come back and you're like, oh, I'm making more money. Like you're, you're not pre-approved anymore. Right. Even after you get an approval, like a literally a, an approval on a property from a lender and we have all conditions met. I like to tell everyone this because it's true not to scare people, but to try to make things as clean and easy as possible. Like lenders have the ability to check everything two days before completion if they want to. A lot of lenders actually do an audit of a file after everything's complete. This means like income's been reviewed and signed off, down payment's been signed off, appraisal's been signed, like everything is literally done and it's with the lawyer. A lot of banks do an audit and like they're looking for like fraud and they're looking for issues. And sometimes people at the banks make mistakes and they're looking to pick those things up, right? So not that, like the, we can't control that. The banks are always gonna do that and it's very rare. Like I think I've seen two situations like this in 10 years, but it's something to be aware of from a client or a borrower perspective just to like don't change anything right because if they come back and go hey just we did a random audit on and we picked this file out of ten thousand files and we need to see a current pay stub if you're not working there anymore and you're completing in two weeks like you're hooped right so you just you, you need to go into that with a mindset of like that's the most important time of your life financially like just get to completion if you need to change something after completion like that's a different conversation right banks aren't going to come rip your mortgage away from you like as long as you're making your payments um, but that whole process of like being pre-approved shopping getting an approval and then that waiting period before completion is is it's key good episode i mean it's probably not overly intriguing but it's really good for someone to listen to especially like you know maybe a realtor 
um, that hasn't seen some of these situations, someone that's actively looking to buy a property, right? Um, if you're going to take away one piece, take away that you need to have a very detailed conversation with your broker and your realtor about what type of property you're hoping to purchase and just make sure that it fits inside of your pre-approval. Right, chances are that it will, but if it doesn't, at least you can have that conversation now and you're not wasting your evenings and weekends for like months and months and months and competing on properties just to find out that maybe it's something that you can't even qualify for. Right. And then like I just touched on, I won't go into detail again, but like your situation is so important. Your financial situation is so important. And even if something has to change, because sometimes life happens and you can't predict it. Um, whether it be like your car blew up and you need to finance a new vehicle because you need to drive to work. Like these things happen and it's all good. Just tell your broker, right? Like we can update the application. We might say, hey, you don't qualify for 600 anymore. You qualify for 520 and it is what it is, right? But at least you know. So just make sure that you're transparent with your broker, your realtor. Try to try to have these detailed conversations up front. And again, sometimes you have no clue what you want to buy. You get pre-approved, you're like, okay, let's go look. And then you realize you want to buy that modular instead of a condo, right? So just communication is key, right? Like, I mean, life in general, but you know, when you're, when you're, when you're going to this extent of buying a property, spending this much money, like it's, it's the biggest investment of your life, right? So just make sure that you're having the right conversations. And at the end of the day, you might be paired with a realtor that's not best suited. You might be paired with a mortgage broker that's not best suited for that type of financing, right? Like you don't need to let your dreams die because someone says no. Like sometimes it is worth a second opinion too, right? And and we'll, we'll be transparent. Like if there's something that we can't do, but we think that RBC can do it in a branch, like we will send you to RBC to get your mortgage, right? Because it's, it's all about you at the end of the day. So yeah, I think we can probably wrap it up there unless you have anything to add, Justin. But um, again, as always, if you guys have questions, um, let us know. Any topics that you want us to touch on, let us know. And um, yeah, we appreciate you guys listening.